As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. It's not about me. I'm only here for a minute. And I know that I can't fix it I can help even just a little bit Won't you let me try Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest Laz and Powers. I'm Mark Lazarus of The Athletic, joined by Scott Powers of The Athletic. Uh, special show today, we're bringing in our friend Jay Zawoski of 670 The Score. Uh, he wrote a book. And uh, that's kind of our thing these days is we just talk about books on the podcast because there's never been any hockey and there won't be any hockey for who God knows how long. Jay, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it, fellas. Uh, I'm a big fan of the podcast. I listen all the time. So it's cool to be on. I guess I can skip this one since I've already heard it. <laughs> I have never listened to us once and I never will. No, I, I, I hate my voice. I hate uh... <laughs> uh Jay, I guess we're all of us to triumph publish authors here too, so we uh, we have to give a little props to Triumph for uh, for pushing our books. Um, what, what, how did how did this book come together? What uh, we should what probably name it first. It's, yeah, it was uh, Big Fifty. The Big Fifty. Uh, the men and moments that made the Chicago Blackhawks with the forward by Dave Bolin. <laughs> that was cool. We'll get, I'm sure we'll get to that too. Um, they reached out to me in in April of 2019 with this idea and they've talked to me about books before, but they weren't really the right fit for me just based on how my career has gone and those sort of things. But this one really felt like a nice fit. So I committed to do it April of 2019. And of course, when you start a new project, you're super excited about it. And I think I knocked out 15 chapters in two months. I'm like, Oh, this is going to be a breeze. This is easy. What I didn't realize was of course the first 15 I write are the ones I like the most and can probably Mm -hmm. just off the top of my head. It's the ones that I saved till the end that I was not looking forward to writing that took the most work. So the last two months of the process, which was November and December of 2019, 
that was a real grind. That was tough. Like th- there was a, a lot of, I, I basically became a full-time job and I had saved up all my vacation at 670 the score for the end of the year, knowing I was going to be in crunch time for the book. And thank God I did because I was basically working nine to five on the book uh, for about a month and a half. So I, I always, I always tell people I'm really glad to have written a book and I hated writing a book. Yeah. Oh no, <laughs> absolutely. This whole part of it has been really cool doing podcasts, talking about the book. I haven't been able to do any book signings, which has been, it's a bit of a disappointment. You know, you have these visions for how it's going to look when the book is finally out. Um, but my friends at bookies bookstores, there's one in Homewood, there's one in Beverly Mount Greenwood. I know the owners, so I've signed probably about 120 copies for them. So they're at the stores now. I think the first time though, I'm in a store and I see it on the shelf of a Barnes and Noble or whatever. I think that's maybe when it will really hit me that it's, that it's real and that it's mine. I did that when Scott's book came out last week. I went to a Barnes and Noble to get it because you didn't send me a free copy, believe it or not. I had to buy it. <laughs> that tells you everything you need to know about Scott Powers. Thank you. I did send you bagels, by the way. <laughs> he so did send me bagels. Me. That's true. Um, but it, it's still like, it, it, it's, it, there is nothing like seeing your own book on the shelves. It's really cool. I was, I was, I, I saw it on there when I was there and I thought it was really cool. I was happy for you. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's quite an accomplishment to, to put something out there like that and know it's going to be there forever. Well, that's, that's the cool thing about it is regardless of what people think of the book, I can ha- I'm an author. I, I'm an author forever, and that cannot be taken away from me. The day the book was uh, released, my wife gave me this mug here. It says, this is what a published author looks like. And uh, she's not wrong. I am a published author. And, and that, that, like you said, that can't be taken away. And that book will be mine forever. And that's really cool to go through the things you usually ignore in a book, like the Isbin number and the Library of Congress and all that stuff. And there it is. My book's going to be in there for all times, and that's that's really that's a really cool part of it. How did you go about figuring out the the fifty? For, like for me, my my Blackhawks history starts in two thousand thirteen, and any, <laughs> anything beyond that would probably be difficult for me. I I know you've been a lifetime Blackhawks fan, so this might have been a little bit easier. But the come down with fifty, I imagine that was a bit of a task. Yeah. So as you guys know, Triumph is super easy to work with, and they encourage their authors to do what they want to do. And I think having the vote of confidence from them to approach it the way I saw fit was super helpful. And they said to me, Jay, there's going to be a portion of people that buy this book because you wrote it. So don't just give us a history lesson that's been done. It's been done a hundred times. A million things have been written about Bobby and Stan and all those people write what you want to write. So having that mindset going in made it a lot easier for me. So basically what I did was I just started jotting down ideas. Okay, here's the things that I definitely can't ignore, right? And then here's some periphery ideas. Then towards the end, I did A column, B column, C column. Then I did, you know, and I just started narrowing things down to 50. And once I got there, that's that's sort of where I, and of course I was doing some of the writing in the process for the, the chapters I knew were going to be in there. But as it got to whittling time, I was able to combine a couple things. There's a chapter in there called The Depth of the Dynasty that was really helpful because I could get to Boland and Oduya and Kruger and Bickle and all those guys sort of in one in one fell swoop instead of having to pick one of those guys to write a chapter about. So having that creativity, having that flexibility was great. And the fact that this book is not a list, it's not the top 50 where I have to rank it one through 50 because then... If I ignore someone from an era, maybe I'm not as familiar with, like, you know, hey, you missed Chico Mackey. Like, I, I don't know. I, I didn't see him play. I don't know anything about him besides his name. You know, so, so again, having that vote of confidence of people are going to, a, a, a percentage of people will buy this because it's your name on there. 
gave me the confidence to write what I think is interesting. And I think the focus on the newer teams, the teams of obviously the dynasty and, and the era before that, that a lot of people missed out on that informs a lot of this new era. Uh, that's what's most fam- familiar to me. So that's what I wrote a, a lot about. And, and I think having the freedom to do that made it a lot easier to do and a lot more fun, to be honest. Now you, know, you cheated a little bit. You have little sidebars in some of the chapters where you got a little, you could throw in like 50, 50 A and 50 B and 50 C. Yes. What's the, what, what is the first thing on the cutting room floor? What's like the one thing that, you know, I would have liked to have gotten that in there, but there just wasn't a way to shoehorn it in. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything that I excluded. I, I feel like in hindsight, I wish I had addressed some of the unfortunate off the ice stuff of Bobby Hall. Um, and I, you know, as I was writing it, I was sort of struggling with that whole thing. And the way I sort of thought about this book was this is a love letter to Blackhawks fans, right? This is something that should make them feel good. And even though we're going to rehash some things that were not so good, ultimately, it's good news. It's three Stanley Cups recently. It's a positive history right now. So at the time, that was sort of my mindset of, ah, you know, if I did it for him, I have to do it for everybody that's oh, had yeah. an off-way slip up. And that that it's a really slippery slope there. However, I do feel like his thing specifically, I, I maybe should have addressed. I've done it elsewhere. I've done it on the air at the score. I've done it on my podcast before. I've done it in print before. Uh, I just, at the time of writing it, I didn't feel like it was the appropriate time to say it. But now with the way things have been going societally, Right, that's a word. Societal. Sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, I'm an author. I got the mug to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I I feel like within the, over the last year, the pressure I put on myself to acknowledge that has gotten greater. So um, it's more, no one has said it to me. Like, why didn't you, why weren't you harder on Bobby Hull? It's just something that's, Eh, in hindsight, maybe I should have just mentioned, at least in passing, the whole Hitler had some decent ideas, sort of. Like, you know, I, I totally get that. I mean, it, it, it is tough when you're. It, it, it would be such a tonal shift in the book to all of a sudden, you know, I I, I ran into that with Patrick Kane and some of the off, especially the 2015, the summer of 2015, and the, uh, the 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 sexual assault allegations. It's like on the one hand, it's hard to ignore it, and you don't want to ignore it, but at the same time, it doesn't fit what you're going for there. It doesn't fit tonally. That's a whole separate book in a lot of ways. So I, I understand where you're coming from with that. Like, you know, and I, when I was reading through it and I saw the Bobby Hall, I'm like, I, 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 I won't lie in my head. I'm like, Oh, I wonder if he's going to like wade into the Bobby Hall. And I'm like, no, he didn't. Like, I can't really blame him. Cause I kind of did the same thing myself. Yeah. And I, to be honest with you, as I was writing it, I was asking myself, am I going to wade into this? 
And I think I just, in the moment, in the spirit of writing the book and the way the other chapters have gone, look, it's one thing to say, didn't this trade suck? You know, <laughs> like that's one thing. But to get into, and you're right, you mentioned Patrick Kane. If I write about Bobby, I got to write about Patrick Kane. I got to write about some things Jeremy Roenick has said and done. It just goes on and on and on. And then the book becomes a totally different thing. In my mind, this was a love letter for Hawks fans. And that's that's how I kept it. And um, and Triumph didn't give you any guidelines. They didn't tell you don't talk about this kind of stuff. Right? No, not at all. No, not at all. And uh, I, I ran it by some people like, hey, what do you think? I'm kind of struggling with maybe not specifically Hull, but if I had a question about what's a more interesting angle on this story, is it A or B or C? I would let them f- give me some feedback on it. And ultimately, they would say, well, this seems great, but you know it better than we do because you're the one writing it. So whatever you think, I appreciated that freedom very much. That was that was super helpful because, you know, you're sending this to an editor as you're writing it because you don't want the editor to have to handle it all at once. Was I, was I supposed to do that? <laughs> yeah. I, I think because. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, maybe because I'm not a professional writer. <laughs> you know that they wanted to keep an eye on things with me more than they would with you or Scott, since that's what you do for a livelihood. Um, but that that was helpful to have that instant feedback. And of course, I leaned on. Uh, I know Mark. I talked to you a ton about the post publishing process of the book, which has been incredibly helpful. And then when I set out to write it, I reached out to Steve Rosenblum, who probably read my first five chapters in real time, and he said, "Look." You don't have to send me anymore. These first five are exactly what you should be doing and keep going. So to have the uh, the approval. Leave me alone, goddamn. <laughs> basically, but to have, to have Steve Rosenblum say something positive, that's a feat in itself. That's so, true. Uh, yeah, so him and Barry Rosner. And then the best part was uh, um, Bob Verdi. When I would say, you know, I'm finding these weird like differences in stories of these old teams. I'm like, does this sound familiar to you? No, but let me make a phone call for you. Okay, great. Yeah. 20 minutes go by. All right, let's get off the phone with Glenn Hall. Here's what Glenn <laughs> Hall had to say about the whole thing. I'm like, that's not what I was asking you to do, but thank you very much. So people like that were incredibly helpful, and and that's what made it fun was you know, uh, getting to talk to those guys, those historians, and get to talk to some players about it. And that's the part I'll, I'll always remember as opposed to the grinding away, the late nights, the the virtual crumpled up paper, you know, the, the mass delete of a chapter, uh, which is the new modern way of the uh, stereotype of the garbage can full of crumpled up papers. Um, yeah. So I, always save those just in case though. You don't really delete them. Just I have a new file, the entire book on a Google drive. I don't know if that's healthy or not or safe or not, but that's where the whole thing is. So yeah, I don't know. It was, it was, it was a, it was a crazy process. And I talked to Barry Rosner after he, and he said sort of the same thing you did, Mark. It was cool that I wrote a book. I'm never effing doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when I was reading through it, I could tell like, like you know, the, 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 the recent stuff, obviously you have an expert opinion on, you know, you experienced, you lived through, you have perspective on. But I thought you enjoyed writing the stuff about like the 90s and early 2000s the most. Like when you're talking about Ronick and like those kind of guys, am, am I am I misinterpreting? Like I could I can usually tell when someone's writing what they're enjoying writing, and I got the sense that that's what you really wanted to talk about was kind of your formative years as a fan. Definitely. And that's so you guys know, I I'm sort of in this weird limbo of media fan where everyone knows I'm a Hawks fan. But I also have to be objective about it and cover the team in a certain way. Not, not the way you guys do. I have a little more freedom than you do. 
And that was something I struggled with for a long time was, okay, well, now that I'm in media, I have to be totally objective and, and can't be a fan at all. And that just wasn't me. So once I finally got comfortable with the place I'm in, the unique place I'm in, this fan with access, um, I, I was able to, to get more relaxed. But you're right, Mark. That era, Roenick, Chelios, Belfort, that's when I fell in love with the game. And that's when I watched it as a pure fan. So what I'm writing about Roenick, the player, and Chelios, the player, is me romanticizing these guys because it is truly what made me fall in love with the game. And looking back in 20, 30 years of this dynasty team, I'm going to think about them the same way. I think I write about Marion Hosa, similar to the way I write about Ronick and Chelios in the book, but it's just, that's when I fell in love. It's the way I would talk about. If we're talking about the Chicago bears, the way I would talk about Walter Payton versus Brian Urlacher, two great players. One of which though, I was covering or, you know, it was my job to cover him. The other, I was just a fan. So I think you come at it from different ways that way. And I, I couldn't help but do that because that's the way I feel. I still, with all the famous people I've met in my life, when I see Jeremy Roenick, I get, I get weird. I get, <laughs> like, God, that's, I, that's, I get weird when I see Jeremy Roenick too, but it's for different reasons. It is different. It is, you know, that's the other thing. Too. <laughs> oh man. Like the disappointment factor of, <laughs> When they say don't meet your heroes, and yeah, JR's always been cool to me, but everyone's got a story about JR, you know. Um, but that's that that you I think I'm it's funny you say that. I hadn't thought of it that way, but yes, I think I did write about that era in a more romantic and poetic way than I did about the dynasty because I think I was more fact based with the dynasty and then with those old guys, like he was the greatest. <laughs> no, that's not, that's, that's writing, man. That's, that's, you know, you write what you love and it, it, you, you can tell when someone's writing something joyously and when someone's, you know, like what well, we are, we're just writing something sometimes, you know, there's a difference. Well, it comes that to... might also indicate when in the process I was writing it. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. Early on, I'm full of energy. This is great. And then November, December, like, please just put me out of my misery. How many words is this? How long? What years did Glenn Hall play? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Oh my God! My, my book of Jody yeah. Davis is going to be about like that, you know. <laughs> That's that. That was the fun stuff, though. And you, Mark, you mentioned the sidebars. I wrote about the day my daughter was born, right before the Hawks uh, went up three nothing to the Sharks in 2010. Yeah, I didn't realize the timing until I read that. Yeah, it's crazy, and how the Hawks have always been. You said she was due past. basically right around the Stanley Cup final, right? She was due on June 8th yeah. and was born on May 22nd. So. Um, but the Hawks have always been a backdrop for my marriage. Like that's how my wife and I met by going to Hawks games together. So the Hawks have always had this sort of ever presence in our relationship and in our lives. And uh, you know, it was funny that it all sort of culminated. You know, we're holding our one-day-old daughter as the Hawks advance to the Cup final for the first time in our lives. That's something, and it's something I didn't want to leave out of the book. What uh, What do you feel like? I guess from your perspective as a fan and as a journalist and, you know, where, where do you, where do you feel like the Hawks are now? What's your, what's your take on this direction? I don't know if it's really different from what they've been doing. Uh, you know, if, if the plan is what they're saying it is, I guess I'm on board because the reality is you can't trade the core, right? Cause even if you trade Taves or Kane, you're going to have to take money back to make it a palatable deal for the other team. And that's going to be unsavory veteran deals that you're probably better off just keeping the veterans with. But as long as they're playing, you know, if, if Ian Mitchell and Brent Seabrook are even, then Mitchell should play, right? If that's what they're saying, if it's a commitment to development, I need to see it. 
I need to see it actually in action. And what I like about the transparency is now they're held to that standard with every move they make. So, Hey, wait, you know, last summer you were on 50 podcasts saying it's all about development. It's all about the young guys. And you just traded for a 33 year old winger. How does that help your develop? You know what I mean? So they're sort of under the microscope of what they said this summer. And I said, when we had Stan Bowman on the podcast, stop number uh, 49 <laughs> on the podcast, I said to him, the bulls famously told people they were going to get younger and more athletic. And then they signed Dwayne Wade and got older and less athletic and it haunted them. So just know that people are not going to forget what you said this summer. And, and I'm on board with young guys playing and kind of developing on the fly. I get it. I'm glad they're being transparent about it. Now it's just a matter of, is it going to work or not? And I don't know if it works without your next Taves and Kane. And maybe Kirby Doc is the next one of those. They probably don't have both those guys yet, unless DeBrinkett bounces back and becomes a 40-goal scorer again. Um, but that that's sort of my, how are they going to get to dynasty level again without consistent top picks? And if they're just going to sort of middle this thing the whole time, even if the rebuild technically works, if these young players develop into good players, you're not going to be able to get those franchise-altering talents kind of players picking in the middle of the draft. So that's kind of where my disconnect is. But at the same time, they can't really do much about it. No one wants Seabrook. You could probably trade Keith if you wanted to, if he wants to go somewhere. But Taves and Kane, they basically can't be moved and, and maybe... Yeah, so it's it's tough. And and this is the criticism of Bowman is he paints himself into these corners. He's the not only do you get the term, not only do you get the money, you also get the no movement clause. It's supposed to be some combination of those three. Like, hey, we can't pay you as much, but we'll give you a no trade clause. Bowman gives everybody everything, and now it's what can we do? So that that's sort of he's sort of hamstrung himself a little bit. The other factor I've been thinking about, and it's we'll really never know, right? Is how much influence did John McDonough really have on Stan's moves, on his call-ups, on things like that? This is the first time Stan has had a full offseason to do what he, quote-unquote, wants to do. And it's a different offseason than most, obviously. But I guess now we'll see because he's clearly not going anywhere. Bowman's not going anywhere. It doesn't look like they're going to bring in the czar of hockey operations we all sort of thought might happen. Uh, whoever replaces Danny Wirtz will be another probably guy in the marketing slash business side of things. And, and Bowman is Bowman is the hockey czar for better or worse. Yeah, I think so, we're, I think we're, we're all we're all you, know, you mentioned the transparency aspect. I think we're all kind of we're all on board with that. We want to see it and they deserve the benefit of the doubt. They said they're going to do this and they've been doing it so far. But we're all going to be curious to see if it's still happening when th- if, if things get, take a turn for the worse, if a questionable move is made. You know, uh, again, they deserve the benefit of the doubt. We're expecting that they will. But uh, there's going to there's gonna be a lot to answer for. This is a difficult process for them uh, to, to, to really, you know, openly rebuild and say we're going to be playing young guys over all guys. There's going to be a lot of times where we're going to need answers. And uh, I hope that they follow through on that and provide those answers. Yeah. The, the other thing that I did like that Bowman said, though, is that if a guy gets sent to Rockford, it doesn't mean he's bad. It doesn't mean he sucks. It doesn't mean we think he's failing. It's just that we think it's the best thing for his development at this time. And I think that they've always that, said that though. They, they, they never say this guy sucks. So we're sending him down. Right. But I think it's a good message to put out there ahead of time in case. Cause he said he, I, I think it was our podcast. <laughs> he said, uh, 
he thought that Mitchell was ahead of Boquist going into last year. So is there a small chance that Boquist starts in Rockford and Mitchell starts in the NHL? I don't know the answer to that, but if it does, they've sort of padded that whole thing saying, eh, if that happens, don't panic. It doesn't mean we're giving up on the guy, uh, but it, you know, it just can sort of, I just like that we have this, this base of knowledge to work with now when talking about the team, when all of us and some more than others, I mean, you guys have more access than I do, but it felt like guesswork a lot of the time. And the trouble with guesswork is if you guess often enough, sometimes things become perceived as truth and, and that's dangerous. And I wonder if that's part of why they wanted to get out and be more transparent to sort of set the record straight and communicate. Cause once they said, this is exactly what we're doing. All the moves they made this offseason, okay, they suddenly made a little more sense. All of us are saying, why the hell did, couldn't they get a prospect or a pick for Brandon Saad? Well, Bowman says, well, if we get a pick, he's two, three years away from helping. We need help now. Okay, I might disagree with that, but at least I see the logic. And I think the logic is helpful. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So I have a question for you as a radio expert. Um, mm -hmm. Why are Chicago sports radio stations so reluctant to talk about hockey? I mean, you're kind of like a unicorn in the in the in the radio world where you actually want to talk about hockey and kind of force it in every now and then. But even like when they have someone like me or, or Scott on, it's it's almost like tokenism. It's like oh, we'll throw ten minutes to the hockey guys and then go back to talking about the backup left guard for the Bears in the middle of March for seventy five minutes. Why is that? Why is the audience like w the athletic? The Tribune, the Sun, there, there's proof that there is a sizable hockey audience in Chicago. Do they, do none of them listen to the radio? Here's the, here's the reality is most guys who are full-time hosts in Chicago are over 50. Uh, Lawrence Holmes is an exception. Um, they've been in the industry for a long time. They were operated for the majority of their careers in a Chicago sports landscape where the Blackhawks did not matter at all. When the Hawks started to matter, it was almost too late for guys to totally jump on and reinvent the way they covered the sport, right? At the same time, the people who employ those men over 50 are older than that <laughs> and always through their experience have learned that hockey on the radio is death. Nobody cares. No one wants to talk about the Hawks. I have said this to my boss, Mitch Rosen, several times. I've said it to a lot of people. The 20, the 13 year old kid who fell in love with the 2010 Blackhawks is now 23 years old. That person's ready to buy their first home. That person is about to approach our key demographic of men 25 to 54. That's the one that all sports radio stations strive for men 25 to 54. That demo of diehard Hawks fans that started off as teenagers when the team got really, really good, they're the front end of that demo now. And yes, it was true that when Tyler Arneson and Mark Bell were on the Blackhawks, it was death to talk about the Blackhawks. That's true, but it's not anymore. And I also think that sports radio has the unique power to dictate importance. So 
coverage equals interest equals coverage. It's the ESPN right? factor, like the TV. It, whatever they broadcast becomes the biggest sport in the land. Exactly. If yeah. ESPN TV, if SportsCenter led every show with hockey, all of a sudden hockey would become much bigger and much more important in people's eyes. The coverage matters. And even when the Hawks are winning cups, we didn't talk about them in depth unless they were maybe in the conference final or a game seven would, game day. Yeah. Yeah. That's when they would become the biggest story. And even still, it was, you know, the most baseline conversation of momentum and, <laughs> you know, those sort of things. There's no actual X's and O's breakdown of hockey. And look, admittedly, it's hard to do that. And you don't hear a lot of X's and O's basketball talk either. But that's a star-driven league. The NHL should be a star-driven league, but it's horribly marketed. Their star players are extremely uninteresting for the most part. Uh, and and that's that's a problem too. But I do think that hockey is, even now, even with the Hawks being where they are, I do feel it is criminally ignored. I feel like those kids I talked about who were 15 then and have grown up with the Hawks as their number one team now or maybe number two behind the Cubs or whoever, those same kids grew up with the Bulls being completely irrelevant. Yet we still talk about the Chicago Bulls as behind probably the Cubs and Bears, they're probably the third team that gets coverage. And what have they done to warrant that? Well, yeah, it's, they. It's won- funny. I, I I used to I used to guest host on your your competitors, and uh, I, I'd get there in the morning. I'd be like a four hour block of show, and they're bringing the hockey guy in to guest host, and they would say, "Don't talk about hockey." I'm like, "What the fuck am I here for?" You know? Right. And, and and you know, a guy like Cap, God bless him, he's going to talk about hockey. He's he's not he's going to ignore those guys. And we would have a hockey segment, but it's still like you can't do it for long, or they start getting itchy, and they're going to like get they get like the big you know cartoonish hook from like the fifties and pull you but, off stage. This is all a raw spot for me, considering I was covering high school and colleges for ESPN, and then you know when they put me on the Blackhawks beat, I had to pay to join the union and to be on the radio, and then not to, I wasn't very good on the radio, you know, to, to I guess to part of it but it was just yeah, i had to pay extra money to be on the radio and then not to be used as much was as often a frustration well point, this is but... why there's fifty five thousand hockey podcasts though right i mean there's yeah there's I guess clearly an audience for power it. other parts of the media yeah. but that but that's like you know newspapers and radio are facing the same thing where the younger audience is going somewhere else to get their content and that's we, what we all have to figure out how to prevent that we all have tangible proof i'm sure you have reports you can print out and show people i have the same thing this is how many people listen to my podcast this month and don't tell me there's not an audience for this. Absolutely is. And look, the less coverage it gets on radio, the better for our podcasts, right? Because hockey fans are desperate for something and they will like, there should be a massive drop off in in Hawks podcast listenership right now. Nothing has happened happening. My numbers are identical to what they are in season. People yeah. want hockey coverage. It's not, it's not, this isn't a bandwagon fan base. It's here. It's no. here to stay. I'm not saying we need to elevate the Hawks to the status of the Bears or the Cubs or whatever, but they should be at least equal with the Bulls. I I think, and I don't know. I I think it just goes back to programmers are from an era when the Hawks were dead. Hosts are from an era when the Hawks are dead. And I think, you know, there's only so many hours in a day. Hosts know they have to prepare for certain things and they really don't want to make space in their lives for hockey. And, um, that's the shame of it is they're not comfortable talking about it. And there is some truth to the talk more hockey than stop talking hockey thing. We get that all the time. You guys never talk about the Hawks. And then we do. People say, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. You don't know anything about the Hawks. <laughs> so there is that dynamic of it too, where people say they want it. Then you give it to them and they're not happy with the quality of the coverage. So 
Madhouse Podcast, Laz and Powers Podcast. Check them all out. It's really good, informed Blackhawks talk. And, and read all of our books and buy them for uh, for the holidays. Buy like um, 20 copies each, all three of them. <laughs> yeah, just give them out as gifts. That's, <laughs> yeah. the, that's the best part about it coming out and, you know, when it did, it's like, you know, well, holidays. They do, they do that on purpose, yeah. All Hawks fans. All of them need a personalized copy, too. Jay's book is The Big 50, Chicago Blackhawks, The Men and Moments That Made the Chicago Blackhawks. Oh, did no women make the Blackhawks, Jay? Are you sexist? Is this a misogynistic book? Is that what I'm hearing here, Jay? You know what's funny is that title <laughs> bothered me the entire time. It, Every time I see it, I'm like, well, it just, mm, I, I, get, I get the alliteration, but... Mm. I know, and we, I did a, um, a Q&A with Barber's Bookstores with uh, your colleague, Adam Johns, last week and that book too yeah that shot big 50 bears adam johns that question came up from someone in the audience why are there no women in the book and i said her name was anna i remember this vividly it was only a week ago i said i sought out a forward-facing woman in blackhawks history and couldn't find one and that's the truth there has never been a woman of influence at least forward-facing and the Blackhawks organization, I think that's what makes this Kendall Coin news such a big deal. Um, and we're having her on the Madhouse podcast uh, Wednesday, the 25th. I don't know when you're going to publish this, so I'll say Wednesday the 25th. Today. Okay, great. <laughs> um, and uh, she'll be on today. And we're going to talk to her about it. And I think what I'm going to do as part of a feature for 670 The Score is I'm going to write Chapter 51 and dedicate it to Kendall Coin, her hiring, and uh, just sort of use that as a way to promote the book. You know, that'll be chapter 51 of the big 50 will be the Kendall coin hire, which it's cool. And it's way beyond overdue. So, I mean, there are people in the organization. There are obviously females that work for the Blackhawks, but to not have one that has been, I, I, there's not a safe way to say this, but I think people know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. We that's said facing. That's horrible influence. Yeah. Right. There's not had a historical influence on the team. You know, I guess that's probably more typical than it should be. And Adam said, aside from Virginia McCaskey, which is it's a big one, uh, but he had the same issue with the Bears. There weren't really no women. And I think it seems like sports are changing in that way. The NFL has several female coaches, female referees, which is great. The NBA has female assistant coaches. Uh, so it, it's it's changing. And I'm glad the Hawks addressed it this summer. So I'll be happily writing Chapter 51 uh, after Thanksgiving here. There you go. Um, no, Jay, appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Anytime. Uh, for Mark Lazarus and Jay Zawaski, Jay Zawaski, I'm Scott Powers, and this is Lazarus Powers. Talk to you soon. I can help even just a little.